0: We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leader. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people, safety and horse welfare. And you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Our guest today is Anna O'Keppel. Anna's a dressage specialist instructor. She's also a national A-level dressage judge. She teaches riders from beginners to advanced at her property at Pheasants Nest in New South Wales, Australia. How are you, Anna? I'm
1: very well, thank you, Glynis.
0: Good, good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Good. Now, Anna, we're going to start off with a favourite quote. Have you got one for us?
1: I've been given a lot of quotes because I've had difficulties with my writing from the point of view that I had a major accident. And it had problems afterwards. And one of the one of my favorites is George Morris, who said that practice doesn't make perfect. Only perfect practice makes perfect. Mm -hmm. And I think his point was, of course, that you are Practicing the correct information. And I think in writing, and even as a life concept, which applies very much to both writing and life in general, that's very applicable because you can do an awful lot with the wrong information and get absolutely nowhere.
0: Yes, yes, I think that's a good uh, one. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a good one. And As I say, they come up all the time. I think it's great to have these quotes but at the same time not to get buried in them, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which I think can happen with people. They live on them. They're definitely very useful.
0: Certainly good to reflect on, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think for reflection and thinking, they're Mm -hmm. excellent.
0: Anna, I know you've been in horses a long time. Do you have memories of when you very first started with horses?
1: Yes, I do. I didn't have horsey parents. My parents were war people from Germany. So there were sort of problems anyway, but they were very connected to nature. And although they were Dresden city people, the Europeans, and they still are from what I've seen when I've been over, very connected to the land, animals, etc. And I always wanted a horse. I used to, I know when I was little, I don't know quite how old, I used to get the prunings off the fruit trees and put names on them with sticky tape. Okay. And then line them up, and yep. they were the yep. horse. And then as I got a bit older, because we had, uh, at that time it was at Leffington, and they were still 100-acre properties, dairy farms, and so on. And they had horses there. So I would go and pat them, and then one day I decided, that was when I was 11, 12, that I was going to hop on one of them. So I caught it, oh, yeah. to the went to hop on it, and it promptly bucked me off. I'm oh. uh, guessing now it wasn't even broken in. And then that went on, wanting a horse. And then when I was 14, my father finally bought me one. It was a stock Galloway. It had been used for stock work, and it would only walk in tenter and there was no saddle, so I rode that around bareback because you weren't going to say complain about the horse or the horse disappeared because a friend of his had said, well, if you get her a horse now, then it'll be short-lived because it'll be boys. Well, the boys never really happened in that way, but the horse kept going. (laughs) And then in those days, it was pretty warm-blood days, so you rode X-rays horses station horses, and the Arabs. Arabs and Arab crosses were very popular. And uh, after the Galloway, well, the Galloway was showing off and I could only canter towards home because it wouldn't go the other way. I hadn't had lessons. And then um, it just went straight through a fence, which Uh was a bit of a surprise. I thought it would jump, but it didn't. And then just one thing kept leading to another and that one had found it, so it was sold on and then I got a Galloway, a very attractive one did quite a bit with him and then in those days we did everything. I went to Pony Club, Ingleburn Pony Club did a lot there, ended up with the A Certificate and did a bit of teaching there. Then the dressage started New South Wales dressage started in at Warwick Farm so I was in on it since inception but prior to that, we hunted. I did quite a bit of eventing because that was popular, lower level type eventing, and represented New South Wales Zone 1 at a state championship at Warwick Farm. But we didn't do well because we overtrained beforehand, because at Pony Club, you were very dependent on the people, and they were volunteer parents usually. The poor man overtrained us, but it was still a very good experience, and you'd have these pony Club jamboree days, we went hunting, we did hacking, I did hacking with a heart-bred Arabi bread that was quite attractive, so we did quite well there. and we got a great breadth of experience.
0: Was it in that time that you decided to have a career with horses, or what happened there? Did you always think that you were going to do something working with horses?
1: Well, I always thought I'd be with horses. Mm. I didn't actually necessarily because I really wanted to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. And I had to do it on a scholarship and I missed out. And in those days, you got letters from various people to give you a job and so on. But somebody uh, turned down their scholarship. So I ended up teaching. But the idea of that too was, A, I did want to teach and I loved training even with the animals and things like that. Yep. And B, it would give me time for the horses
0: mm, mm. with
1: holidays and after school. Totally selfish thought, probably.
0: It's not an uncommon one. <laughs> no, a lot of instructors do a teaching degree and then end up working full time in the horse industry. But you know, they have that teaching grounding. Yeah,
1: that background, which mm. comes in very useful with courses, et cetera. And um, no, I didn't ever. Envisage totally working with horses, always being totally involved with them. But I think I had a lot of interest in different aspects as well. And I think having a job, because I never turned professional either, mm-hmm. although I had a lot of success, I was on the initial squads mm-hmm. because I got my opportunities. What sort of went on then, I had the Galloway, But you couldn't actually do open dressage on it. Okay. So to progress, I needed a bigger horse. I bred some part-bred Arabs. My my sister had a mare that wasn't quite sound. And then I bred to the Ralvon horses. And there were some very good part-breds, even bigger ones, around. And as I said, the warm bloods hadn't arrived. So... At Pony Club, that was it. We had a special day and there was a particularly nice grey mare Sanskrit that was owned by a local doctor's daughter. She rode it and it had done very well in the dressage, but on that particular day, I actually came in ahead of it and Mrs Gould who had a riding school down here, a serious riding school. She gave out a scholarship. So that I went to her. She ran these holiday camps, and I went there because she thought being a teacher, et cetera, I'd be useful, I think, and I was very useful. She had to work hard. Even the first time, we didn't have a lot of money. So I rode the horse from almost Liverpool to Windsor. You could in those days, I think, be very dangerous now. But then she would pay me, I think it was $10 a week. you got your board, you got your own lessons because I should hire a float or do something so I wouldn't get Mm. killed or something. So I did that and then she had a mare, a station angler at Grey and I've never been, I think, what you'd call sensible. I just loved that horse's pink dapples and then... She sort of offered it to ride because her son was riding it, but something had happened when he was in the bush, and it was bucking. And in those early days, when you were young and you wore rose-colored glasses forever, I just thought it was a great opportunity. So I happily got bucked off nearly every day. You could never quite tell if she'd bucked you (laughs) off straight away, or if she'd wait a while and then bucked you off. And Well, you know, and I was lucky to, you know, I was fortunate. And this horse had beautiful pink dapples. It's ridiculous, really. But she turned out, she was my first squad horse. Mm -hmm. And she actually, because then I trained with Franz Meiringer, which I think was incredible. I Mm -hmm. spent three years with him. I had to start with Mrs. Gould, then Mrs. Hurst. And you've done me a favor because I looked up. Big Meat Farm because she started Ingleburn Pony Club. They were very strong on polo cross and polo, and I did go and do a bit, but it didn't really appeal. I used to work some polo horses after school to earn the money to keep my own horse, and then she gave, I was most impressed with her because she was a tremendous horsewoman and very into horse care, etc. She gave us lectures and so on at Pony Club. So she was an influence in the beginning. Then it was Mrs. Gould. I managed to follow somehow a really good path of people who were horsemen.
0: I was going to say Franz Maringa. You know, if you had had lessons with Franz Maringa, that would be good. Yeah.
1: Oh, it was an amazing experience. I Mm. spent three years up and down because I was on the squad and he took that angler who was a strung-out horse, tended to go a bit hollow, but again, as many people, you learn a lot from all of them. You learn Mm -hmm. a lot from everyone and everything, really. And the Piaf we could do was unbelievable because Fran and George Weil were putter partners at the Spanish Riding School. And George Weil, who was Stuckelberger's trainer, they came over for This Is Your Life for Fran, so I met her. And she actually wanted to buy my Galloway, but too small and George soon straightened it up because she had Grenard at the time, and he was big, and she was only tiny, so she wasn't so happy with it. But anyway, they had a horse there that the pals of me said would never Piaf, so they used to take it and just do a bit with it every day, and it ended up outstanding, and George was evidently a genius with Piaf, and Yeah, it was fascinating with this mare. I got her to medium level. And then we were doing the... They were the first interstate trips, the first nationals. And we went to South Australia because we were part of the team. And we went to Melbourne. And then we went to Brisbane. And that was when Tina lost her horse. Lots of us had lost horses. Mm -hmm. Somehow she found it. And what it was in the end, we didn't really know. Because that year she was supposed to take... I think it was jackpot or trophy. I think it was jackpot to the first World Games and he died Mm. just the evening before departure. So, you know, that was a terrible experience for her. Mm. Don't think she ever quite got over that. And uh, Franz and Tina's husband used to play chess and got on very well together. So I did the three years with Franz, Lost Lady Penrind, Rode Franz's horse, which Christine wanted to take you know, him, the horse, and the lot back to Europe. But he wanted to stay here because his family was here. Mm-hmm. And that meant there might be other things too. Well, I don't know. And then he, we were just going to look for my super horse because he used to say to us, mm-hmm. we all decided one day that we wanted the special horse. And he sort of looked at it. He was a great philosopher. And he said, well, I think it would be a good idea for you to learn to ride this one first because (laughs) super horses are super people and there's nothing like creative genius. I'm tending to agree with him now. Then, unfortunately, he um, got cancer Mm. because Mm. uh, the one failing, if you want to look at it that way that he had, he smoked. Mm -hmm. And in those days, too, they didn't understand the dust in the arenas. Mm -hmm. He was always in dusty arenas because he was training the event teams. I sort of came in on that initial event team when Mm -hmm. he was taking that one away. And by three years, I think it finished with Montreal or one of those. So he'd be away and we just had to jump when he came to Mm Barrel because Anthony Horton had um, left that for those purposes, and he died very quickly. He died in May, mm-hmm. and I've always regret. you know, were, I was very shy. Mm. <clears throat> I never asked questions, you know, I've regretted. Now I blab all the time and ask heaps of questions because <laughs> you just don't know.
0: Yep, yep.
1: That was really sad. So after that, they started, I still stayed on the squad, And the dressage New South Wales started to bring over. They weren't dressage New South Wales. They had another name. uh, Bring over the international instructors, and they were very interesting and had a lot of influence. Mm -hmm. Hannah Valentin, Holtful was great. I was really sorry when Australia rejected him as a trainer, and he went to America because he was very good. Who else? There were quite a few of them. Ralph Isselhos came over once, and he was very, that was our younger, good-looking days. And so these people had insurance and for regular training, I went to Edgar Lisztwa. Yep. And we got on very well. I then had a Clydesdale Cross that was rather big, but mm-hmm. an impressive horse, and that was on the squad, and a horse called Ice on Fire that was a warm blood cross as well. And then Hannah said he very much reminded her of Marzoc when he was young, but I didn't persevere with him because he, we won and took off Canberra. And uh, we had to stable, and he was champion, whatever it was then. And he got perfura hemorrhagia. And they gave him cortisone, and he was really tired after that. And I didn't understand cortisone then, so I sold him to do easy work, and it was a shame because he did recover, and he mm. was quite exceptional, but you do these things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Then I got a horse called Conman. He was my best squad horse. Okay. Did very well, and when Edgar and Glenis came over, they thought he was a world-level horse at that time. I don't think with the modern horse, he would still be a good horse, but he wouldn't compare with the modern horses, I don't think. Mm-hmm. And then I got off the squad. They used to call me the professional amateur (laughs) because I was about the only amateur that was there, but German background and everything. And I worked out, you know, I was very passionate about it. I don't know why. I never really thought. I think I only didn't think about a full-time job working with horses because I really liked teaching as well. Mm -hmm. I think that's what really happened And I could fit in the two. I left teaching when I got on the squad and stayed at Mrs. Gould so I could um, go backwards and forwards to barrel and fit in all the training. And I rode quite – I was always a troubleshooter. I rode all sorts of horses, which I think gave me a lot of background. I don't think I was. Now, I heard – somebody commented you had to have talent. Now, I'm afraid I – don't agree with that. I agree with George Morris, who, and you see too much of it in this teaching too. Lots of people have talent, but what we really want is attitude. Forget about aptitude. You need aptitude for people. And he's, George said the same about Kathy Kuczynski because she wasn't his sort of person at all, mm-hmm. untied, da-da-da-da-da, but he said she could write and she'd work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that was a point I think quite – few that I've listened to did make you have to work.
0: Is that the most important thing, the attitude and the work, to have a career with horses?
1: I think so. I think it's attitude. And nowadays, I think, because I've got a young, working pupil-type person, parenting is difficult. They're very spoiled, a lot of them. And educationally, what is happening, and that puzzled me for a while because I get children and I get uh, difficult children to fix up for want of a better word which and i do enjoy that side of life as well and it was really interesting because they go oh you tell them to do this you tell them to do that and it wouldn't happen and off they'd go until it dawned on me a they had no intention of following direction anyway because you did what you wanted when you wanted which was part of the attitude which was partly why they were here and they could not follow direction. Mm. And I'm getting quite, even this child, she's very interested in becoming a vet nurse. She's only 11, 12, but still 11, 12 in Afghanistan. You're raising mm-hmm. a family at sixteen yes. yes. come on. And yes. if you want a vet nurse, it's very jobs are very responsible and mm. it's not like our time when there was only half a dozen after one job. It's just pet now. So. And then, yes, educating them to follow direction. I think the riders that we have, first session is an assessment session. And as I said, I have to also say, it's not just can you walk, trot and canter. It's about your attitude. Do you listen? Do you make uh, responses that actually make sense?
0: (laughs) Communication skills, is that... Like responses that make sense, so communication skills, yeah.
1: That's right. Communication skills are now difficult because even as a judge, the older people, and I have controversy about this, but there's a lot of controversy at those levels. You're allowed to trot around and then the judge is supposed to check your number as you fly by. Often they have the wrong one or one, and it's much easier to check it and have everything right so that the paper doesn't have to come back. However, the older people who are uncomfortable, there is a procedure that's polite. I do like courtesy still, old-fashioned, but it's coming back because the young riders got very difficult. You say good morning or whatever. You say the horse's name. You say your own name. Then the judge can direct you, may notice that Baggy Stewart has let you through with bandages and say da 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 Hmm. Anyway, the others, were because they're now allowed to just trot around, stand at the top, and then you've got to ring a bell yep. and let them come in. And I've had a couple of experiences mm-hmm. in the early days in the eventing. Judge one writer who stood at the top, finally did toot him in. He was the only one who really did dance. The event people are very polite generally, and he wrote his test. Now, if he hadn't placed, it would have been fine. But he got a six, and he rode a, the horse. wasn't entered, and Mazda. <sighs> it was illegal, mm. and of course the competitors caught up with him. Mm-hmm. So there we were waiting back because it had to be solved. Mm. And yeah, uh, clever. The human race is very cunning, <laughs> <laughs> and they'll always find a loophole. Damn it! But never mind. And then the young ones now they don't have the courtesy. Some do. And I think there's a bit of a push again for that to happen mm-hmm. because, again, you check numbers. Not, even the elite, I mean, some of those people, they're the worst because they have the wrong one, they're casual, and then you stewards let them through all the normal human behaviour and they grunt. And the younger people who can't really communicate, it has got to that level. And I have that discussion because I do have a lot of interaction with psychology people, people who teach other things and are interested in the technology debate that's going on now anyway. So it's an interesting thing that, as you pointed out, but I think if you're going to run a business of any description, but very much so, of course, you're actually teaching communication Mm -hmm. is very, very important.
0: What do you think is the best thing about working in the horse industry?
1: There's upside, downside to everything. The best thing for me personally, because you can't speak for everybody about a professional view, it a lot more different because even now I'm medically retired because I had a stallion smash my head to pieces and they did stick me back together. I think for myself, I'm actually doing what I love doing. Mm -hmm. That's my personal trip. And even if you know if I'm feeling bothered about something, and Franz would say the same, and I find that with a lot of students and many people who aren't quite game enough to do something about it, then they don't ride their horse. It's much more stressful, distressful. Stress is great, but this stressful living, they find it, you know, they'll leave the horse. Whereas once you get out with a horse, animals of all description, and just get out with nature, that's a therapy in itself and it's a whole different world. And you just have to, as Fran said, you've got to leave and others. You do leave your worries behind. And I find just about with everybody who starts and or comes back to it, because the people who come through are many and varied. I've taught them from very young, one, two-ish, just to have a right, tiny roads, It's amazing what young children pick up. And then what was their biggest difficulty was actually getting over that hesitancy and being able to look at that as a therapy too, just as proper riding and correct dressage training which is just basically correct training, is a therapy for the horse. I think a correct tuition and your ability to get on there. Even, as I say, if you just walk and trot on days when things are particularly difficult, it's amazing how it does cheer you up yep. and help you through more difficult times. You feel tired, etc., before you get out. But once you're out there and on board, that's the hardest part is getting out there getting on the horse, and away you go. And these days, I think, with children of eight and less even, paying $400 for a psychologist.
0: You think they'd be better off with the horse? Well, yes. they would.
1: It yeah. only cost you a couple of hundred a week.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> might be a bit of, easier.
1: They are used in therapy. I've just had a state ward. I get them occasionally. Yeah. With their difficulties, she came with a social worker, and she was absolutely beside herself about mm-hmm. it. She um enjoyed it, she learned a bit, Good. and then you just have to guide them through some of their difficulties, and then that helps them, as the social worker said, that'll keep her thrilled for a week at least. <laughs> so then the trouble is they have trouble getting the funding and so on to continue sure. it, but sure. that just has to happen or not happen. Everybody just does their best.
0: And I think about, um, you know, because you're judging and we talked a little bit about the courtesy of riders, you know, when they go and present themselves to a judge and things like that. But thinking now about either as a judge or a coach, what's a common fault that you see riders doing? And and we want to talk about the training and how it can be fixed as well.
1: Well, I think the wheel always keeps turning. And at the moment I feel... We are in a difficult situation because the riding method suddenly changed. And the whole equestrian world, we're talking competition here, Mm -hmm. has become extremely commercial, which it has. And I think that's affecting the horses. They tend to be a product. We have a different scenario to our time, uh, putting it like that. When there were less horses, they were ridden differently. The old masters had a tremendous understanding and horses haven't changed. No matter how beautifully you've bred them, making them into a purpose-bred horse, I do think there is a plus to that, but there's also a downside to it. And we are now facing serious accidents in the dressage arena. And they're serious. And I've witnessed two or three and then you're left in a very difficult position because litigation is so rife these days Mm -hmm. now the riders concerned they sort of picked themselves up and said they were fine but they're not and I know that because I'm not fine from this massive accident that I had at 42 you are never fine again but again they're very you know as you pointed out and we've both agreed we're very passionate people Mm. and in a professional instance, what else have they got to earn money from? And that's very true because I have a trainer I liaise with at the minute that I can get on with and have basically the same principles and we can discuss our differences in the issues. But she helps me very much with position because with the massive head injury, I've got no right in the ear and therefore the balance goes and that's what being in it, but it's improving. And I think that the horses are horribly pushed, and they're working in extreme tension because of the way that this on-the-bit business has been manipulated because they're not on-the-bit. The The unfortunate thing is a great misunderstanding of on-the-bit. It's a misnomer because a horse can be on-the-bit with no bridle. On the bit actually means that the horse is on the aids and on the leg and seat. And when you that is the air involves the rib cage. And when that rib cage stays under you and the horse is again and what they turn in front of the leg, the neck of the horse naturally drops. And that I'm working with three horses, the modern day ruined horses. I've had three and one really. That's when you get to the challenge bit. He's It would happen now when I'm nearly 70, but a fascinating challenge because with the modern noseband arrangement and the mouth just tied shut like that, they're in agony. And then they don't ever come near the bit because it's dropped and three of these horses, they roll up their tongue to try and alleviate the pressure. Then that puts the bit on the bar of the mouth and they're very thin bits these days. Yeah, you can really cause some pain there that sort of thing is the worry and it in the end it is leading to these amazing accidents and yes there's always been horse accidents but in the earlier days we didn't have anything like that and then tend to pull it because of the pressures they're too young and those pressures then break them down both mentally and physically so i'm very interested in a lot of these things and I have these re-schools. I've always worked with horses. That's why I got cheap ones along the way, which I could afford because they had problems.
0: Mm.
1: Also, I had the good fortune to have good trainers. And uh, there was Edgar. And I still then I had those various ones with the squad. They did vary a bit. So I think I had excellent background there. And even now, I worked with Irva Spenlin. We had a falling out. I worked with him earlier on when i just had the accident because I lost a heap of confidence. He was very good, but he didn't push me enough, not really. But maybe I wasn't pushable. I don't think I should really go down that track too much. But then we got back together and had some excellent sessions with him. But, see, they're all old and dying. He's now 75. No longer coming out, unfortunately. His daughter died of cancer, so that was shattering for him, and he's had to make changes. But he helped me a lot lately, and
0: uh,
1: who else? Yeah, the trainer I've got now, she's been very helpful. We at least can have discussion. Mm -hmm.
0: What do you think can be done, though? You know, this whole problem about horses being push too quickly, horses, people think they're on the bit that they're not really on the aids and the noseband's putting horses into a false outline and to stop the horses being broken down mentally and physically, what can we do about it? How can this be fixed?
1: I think the wheel is slowly turning. It's very difficult in this country because how can I express it? When I was 30, there were problems then with Australia's acceptance of the Europeans, in fact, we went to a stage where one particular person, too, we were going to show the Europeans. Well, you know, they had to do it our way. I think Australians can be because we're a bit isolated and a bit detached from, it's more global now. And also the issue, it doesn't just happen here. It was happening very much in Europe because I attended several forums. I'd fly over, attend a forum, and then I had relatives in Dresden and people I knew elsewhere. So I'd visit just well, forums at Hoogham Road I went to. Gert Hirschman spoke there, and... Um, With a whole different attitude, you were very accepted. They had cruelty issues as well in pressure and more so from some trainers than others. But they were much more on track. And I think the Europeans are fortunate. Okay, there can be too much pressure, too much this or that, and more so in this modern time. But they always had a basic, correct training system. Mm -hmm. And you went through that no matter what. Then you made your choices. You either became a bit brutal, a bit this, and it was very clear, even at those forums, who had which reputation. And again, they were knowledgeable people from France, America, and different places, and they would stand up for things. And recently I've run into some difficulty myself, because to me, welfare of the horse is most important. And always will be. And I think, unfortunately, there is a bit of hypocrisy there. It's also a bit limited by the understanding of people of how a horse operates. Like half, quite a few of the judges, and I've mentored some, refused to um, learn the training skill. Mm. Just a few, you know. That's all yeah. you would think a judge would, you know, people would be interested. And I think we're a young country. America is 10 years ahead of us. And unfortunately, again, recently we had the opportunity to get one of the Spanish riding school people, decided he was too expensive and America's got him. Okay. And they're doing better and better. I think that sort of thing is a shame. On the other hand, we're getting people like Hess who's training the team, bread and co. They hide behind closed doors now, which is a bit of a shame. But again, they are improving the riders quite a bit, but yeah, I think we just get a bit limited there. and just recently, the Danish the noseband thing has come back. They now are going back to correct fitting. It's up there on the website. I'm not sure whether Australia has followed suit, but I know that one of the show jump Colin book, one of the show jump people who wanted to show jump Australia, Australian, I had that was good, um, she just said, "Why can't Australia?" think of something like that. But I think we're in flux, if you know what I mean. Yep. yep. We're uh, gradually, gradually, and the wheel will always turn, and it is. The cruelty issue, they have St. George magazine over there, wealthy. You know, there's money there. Mm-hmm. I don't think that the people who are trying to promote better conditions for the horse, mentally, physically, et cetera, we don't have that sort of money here which makes it a bit more difficult. And the other thing that has changed, which is putting a lot of pressure on, is the rich owners. There's a lot more money in Australian dressage, and the whole scene has changed. Because in our day, you had to be a genuine amateur Mm -hmm. to go, and we raised money for Dennis Pickett. You know, they raised money for themselves. You also had to have a job out of horses, and you were a true amateur when you went... And that's not the case. It's hugely changed now. And the rich owners, uh, it's not the money that's in Europe, but it's the top-level money here, and we've got Walinga. People with a lot of money have come into it, and, you know, they want this and want that out of it. I think that's added a lot to the pressure of everything. I think that's about it. And in competition, I think one thing that riders go through is that obsession. Yep. They are very tense because I think I'm tense, but I'm one of the most laid-back people on the scene, I'm <sighs> told.
0: What about a book that you'd like to recommend for our listeners, just to complement their training?
1: Well, initially what I found here, the Pony Club book, 1963, was the best version. Mm-hmm. It's clear, it's concise, and it gives the necessary
0: Now, which Pony Club is that? Is that the UK Pony Club, New Zealand Pony Club or Australian Pony Club? the
1: Australian one. Yep, okay. The Australian Pony Club book, and I just got um, some recent copies, but they've changed it and they've put in some photos that I don't think are terrific, and they have the old nose bands. It still has some good sections in it, but I think that's a good starting book. Mm -hmm. Because it basically, and it has a dressage section, and it's at a level that people starting out can understand. Um, Franz Meieringer's book, but not everybody is into that philosophy. But I find that was very useful.
0: Horses are made to be horses, is that the one?
1: That's the one, yes. Horses are made to be horses. Gert Heichmann has books. I think he's got two out now. And a DVD as well and they're very interesting books. Charles de Quincy, he has, uh, he's quite academic and that's not for beginner people. And then I think then Margaret Clark, she wrote one on Care of the Australian Horse and Pony. That's a good basic one. Belschner's Horse Diseases, some of those older books are, um, again, they have a good basis, a more old-fashioned and direct basis to them and I think give a good foundation for people as well as a good reference mm-hmm. for later on as well because recapitulating. And then show jumping, Anthony Pullman. Yes. That's a good one. And then George Morris's books too. Yes. Yep. And then the, the Klimka books, I think, and that basic Cavaletti one, they have a very good basis as well for people that have done a bit. I don't think they're for a total beginner. There's a variety out there, I think, but you do have to be a bit selective.
0: Sure. Okay. Anna. what are you looking forward to now? You said you were looking to go to Clarendon. Is that right?
1: Well, what I look forward to now, what I find is, and I found myself uh, too, uh, what I'm particularly interested in is there's competition, and competition is a difficult thing because it's a win-lose. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it will always have its frustrations and its difficulties. And to a certain extent, it's also warfare. And that has been discussed by people, you know, quite mature thinking people. That that's what you're looking at. You know, football, all those things, somebody's got to beat somebody. And I've had riders who said to me, unless there's more than 20 people in it, I'm not going because (laughs) I've got to beat all these people. However... I'm under the philosophy that, as I've discussed, because people come here too and we run things a bit differently. I'm creating, this is what I do have to look forward to here now that I'm older and traveling starts to get difficult too, that we create a win-win situation. Now, it's possible, but in the big wide world, what I call the unreal world, others call it the real world, it's not going to happen or not in any great hurry anyway where we have a win-win. You simply get percentage-driven if you do a test, whatever, because as I said to somebody, it doesn't matter if I'm the only one in it. The goal is to get 80%, 90%. Mm. So here I am on my own, and it's fine. And if I get 45%, well, that's no good, is it, whether I'm one of 50 or one of one. Yep. <laughs> so, yep. you know, I need to go home and do something or maybe the dodging wasn't up to scratch, but you've got to watch that one. Mm. So I'm looking forward to that because we have all sorts of different days. We do things like pill at work, using cones. We do because I take basic barrel racing because good horsemanship. Dressage is just training. That's the other thing I think that's happened now. Dressage has become a horse, whereas that's not true. And a lot of people feel like that. I've got to have this good horse. I'm never going to be that good. And it happens even in the amateur owner thing they've done now. The amateur owners buy one from Europe and then they can't ride it. And mm. that is the difficulty. What you really need to pay money for is correct skill and knowledge. And with that, as Hess, one of the trainers who comes over and he said, Give me the rider who can make an ordinary horse into a good horse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like to do, I've always had ordinary, even now, I was going to buy this fabulous horse as my last scenario, and what do I keep getting? Horses with difficulties. (laughs) That is what it's about, and dressage is a training. It has nothing to do with the horse, is the real reality, and I think to have contentment and satisfaction.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It's not about fun. I go to Luna Park or something like that to have fun. But enjoyment, you definitely need to enjoy and have contentment Mm -hmm. and satisfaction in the work that you're doing. And that only comes with correct knowledge, learning, you know, the skill, the basic skills of patience, perseverance. But you can't do that without correct education and then yeah we have seminars we have demonstration days and then people we have what we call because people really don't want to do competition because of what it is however i've changed that name to evaluation mm-hmm. we have evaluation days okay. and you come in and part of the discipline is to remember a test but we also have a freestyle then you can make up your own test using the criteria of maybe preliminary maybe novice or whatever Just to broaden it out of the round and round, the arena thing. That I find is a challenge too, that I go out and I'm basically, it's a terrible thing to say, not so much bored, but I've done the arena thing so often. But there is more happening Mm -hmm. that you can do, like protocol suits me and my health issues because I can stop and I ride it like that so I can keep going. Then freestyle, I've always really enjoyed freestyle and mm. done well with it because there again, you can write your freestyle. That can help do lots of little walk bits <laughs> and so on. Yes.
0: Yeah. All right. Now, that's good. I like the idea of the whole evaluation day and, and having the win-win. I think that would certainly encourage a lot of people and especially people can lose their confidence by not winning, you know, having like competition winners and losers. I think the evaluation days are a good idea. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, and then it's always protocol. You always can discuss with the judge, and you also have the option, like you go to a normal day, you do your test, leave the arena, that's it.
0: Yeah, and yeah. And
1: here they can go away for 10 minutes, and it's normal to do two tests. Mm. You can take on board two things the judge has said, Yep, and I get a, a couple of judges who are on the same lines. Mm. Mm. Practice them out there, and then come back and do Another it again. Day. Those situations, I think, are beneficial. They give people confidence. Gradually, they lose their frustration. And then always, when they go out, I've always said to them, be very careful. You don't actually assess Mm. your dressage training by the outside results because in that situation, there are very many variables. Mm. And Mm. just leave it at that. And if you go out, you've got to take the heat. And interestingly enough, I think it does affect you. Even the most well-intentioned person gets a bit affected by it, Sure. no matter what. And that's why the Spanish Riding School, I think, uh, they let them go out. It was spoiling them, so they brought them back in and didn't allow them to compete. It's all interesting stuff. Hmm.
0: Mm, mm. No, that's good. That's good. Now, people want to contact you. What's the best way? How can they contact you?
1: Well, usually the best way is to ring my landline, and, if I don't answer it, to leave a message because phone contact, a real voice, is best Mm -hmm. and then they can be guided and directed. To get an initial idea, quite a few – now, because people are technologically inclined, they initially – email as well, and then the website is a good one to look at. I think it does express what we're really about. My son did it. He's a graphic designer, Mm -hmm. and it has brought people who actually fit in.
0: Yeah, what is that website, Anna?
1: www.dreamfieldsequestrian.com.au Perfect.
0: All right, and also to those details will be on our page at horsechats.com slash Anna O'Keppel or else just go to horsechats.com and search for Anna. So, Anna, look, it's been wonderful talking to you today. We'll have to get you back and talk to you some more. I'm sure you've got lots of great stories for us.
1: <laughs> I have, I'm actually going to
0: write the book when I get over some of the stuff that's happening <laughs> in my
1: life because I do enjoy Language, yeah. writing, and all those things as well. And then, yes, the other thing is they can text the mobile. I can't actually text myself, uh-huh. but people do that as well. You need the they
0: text, text, okay. Uh, but
1: the mobile, it's, well, Telstra is Telstra, uh-huh. and
0: it's not sure.
1: totally reliable.
0: Okay. Oh, I'm sure if people want to contact you, they can try a couple of different ways. So thanks very yeah. much for talking to us today, and hopefully we'll get you back sometime soon.
1: Thank you very much, Glennis, for Thank the
0: opportunity. You. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.